0: Spurgeon said, a little faith will take your soul to heaven, great faith will bring heaven to your soul. And who doesn't want a perpetual experience of heaven in the soul now? Uh, That's why we're going to look at Abraham and Sarah today in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse number 8. Many of you are familiar with the story of Sarah and Abraham, some are not. He was called from lower Iraq what would be considered Iraq today to move to Haran and from Haran to the promised land where at the age of 75 God promised that he would have children he was childless at this point in fact he would become a great nation in Genesis chapter 17 verses 4 and 5 he even changed Abraham's name changed his name from exalted father to the father of multitudes before his son was born now, that's a spit the Diet Coke through the nose moment, is it not? You can imagine, he comes up to his employees, he's got a large household, and he says, you need to start, stop calling me Abram and start calling me Abraham. And you can just imagine, dude doesn't have a bunch of kids, and he wants us to call us the father with a bunch of children. And that's, that's what takes place. Well, that's precisely what has happened in the history of Abraham and Sarah. One of the elements of having heaven in the soul is to know your place in life, what God designed and constructed you to do in this life. You want to make sure that you're in the right place and you want to make sure you're doing what God put you on this earth to do. And so this morning, I want to address the subject of uh, the place of greater faith. By faith, Abraham and Sarah experienced God's great big place. For their lives, beginning in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. for you to live in, and that's why he put you here. And there's several things I want to say about that this morning. First, greater faith sends us from a pleasant place. Most of our lives are designed to get us into a point and place of contentment where we no longer have to stress, strive, and strain in order to find some satisfaction and personal security. All of our lives are getting to the place where we are contented and Abraham was living in such a place he was the city where he dwelt originally was a very sophisticated city Ur of the Chaldees it was very sophisticated it was sophisticated commercially they had sophisticated um, uh, trade and uh, locally and internationally uh, it was sophisticated politically they had a very sophisticated political system it was also sophisticated uh, in its architecture in fact Ab- Abram was such a prominent citizen of this city that his names, archaeologists have found, happened to be inscribed on some of the columns of the city. And so he is in a contented place, he's in a pleasant place, and God called him at that moment to leave. Verse number 8 says that Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. We must trust God, we've got to trust God, because oftentimes His will and His ways of putting us in our right place will require the embrace of difficulty and the abandonment of pleasantness. Now that's true with Abraham, that's also true with King David. Uh, King David was anointed to be king, but he didn't become king immediately. He had to run from Saul and run for his life and dwell often with the Philistines. Uh, That's true also of the Lord Jesus who, I mean, does it get any better than being the Son of God in heaven before birth in Bethlehem to be exalted as he was and to leave heaven and tiptoe down the stairs of heaven to this world to be born into a peasant family to go through conception and gestation and birth and then to live the way that he lived with the people with whom he lived. I mean, Jesus left a place of pleasantness, came to this earth, and then died a criminal's death for your sins and for mine. Uh, That's the history of the people of God. In fact, let me say to you, if right now you're in a place where you don't have to trust God, get ready. It's very possible God may upset your life to where you will have to trust Him. Whenever we're in the place where God wants us and we're doing His will, In service, in giving, in our relationships, and vocation. You've got to understand, he's always arranging our lives to where we've got to depend on him. And a contented life may be pleasant, but it's oftentimes a life that we've constructed and God has not. Because God's way is to always keep his people operating and following him by faith. Remember, it was at the age of 75 God called Abram to leave and to go to a place he'd never seen. And when he left, he did not know where he was going. All he knew was enough to take the next step and to go where God wanted him to. And God would direct him eventually to where he was to land. So let me say this to you. When you're thinking through what God wants me to do and you've got some options in front of you, Do not flee from the most difficult option. In fact, I would encourage you, tilt towards the most difficult option. Investigate it carefully, because oftentimes God's will and God's place is the most difficult place you can imagine. His timing is oftentimes the most difficult timing you can imagine. The sacrifice What you're going to have to give to do God's will and get in his place is oftentimes the most difficult level of sacrifice that you can endure. That's oftentimes the way God does it. In other words, if you're following God, you're going to have to consistently trust him because he'll put you in a challenging place. So when you have options, tilt towards the most difficult. Dr. Cal Guy was missions professor at Southwestern Seminary for many years and then went to teach at the Criswell College in Southeastern, and I think probably a good case could be made that Dr. Guy probably trained more missionaries than anyone in Christian history. It's very, very possible. I think a good case could be made. It'd be difficult to prove that, but (coughs) Dr. Guy had lost his wife, he was in his 70s, and then one day he got news that his house was burning down in Burleson, Texas and it burned to the ground. Now, this was a very significant place for Christian missions, his home was, because he would get out there with other missionaries and mission thinkers like Donald McGavern, and they go into the pasture and roast hot dogs and marshmallows and talk about global evangelism, is what he used to say. But his house burned down, and he commented to a younger colleague of his, he said, maybe now God will let me go to the mission field. Here he is, retired. In his second or third institution, his home is burned, his wife is gone, and he's thinking about going to the mission field. You see, he's tilted towards the most difficult thing. When you've got options in front of you, it may be the place God wants you is in the most difficult place. Now, listen. Do not just simply decide what the most difficult place is and go with it. You first need to do what Abram did in verse number 8. Look there. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. The most difficult place is not always the automatic place. You need to get a word from God. Now listen, the problem with hearing from God is not that God isn't speaking. The challenge is most people don't know how to listen to him. And I'm going to give you some verses to help you in just a moment to determine how it is you can ascertain the will of God and get a word from him some people say have you ever heard God speak audibly?" well a few minutes ago we read the Bible out loud that's God speaking audibly, but oftentimes it's much more clear than that speaks to the heart and the mind and he persists with an idea that promotes his will and is consistent with the word and we'll talk about that in just a moment but first before you choose whatever option in place that you're going you get a word from God and make sure it's from him you're not like the woman who wanted to put together a Christian cruise. Now, I had the idea one time, when I was working with the Georgia Baptist Convention in the evangelism office, I thought, you know what, if we could get a whole bunch of preachers isolated for a whole conference for a whole week, we could turn the state around. Because with conferences, you can get some folks on Friday night, but the next Saturday you'll have a smaller crowd, especially if you do it near their home. And then you could go away for a retreat, but you get fewer in numbers. You can lock them down there and get their attention the whole time, but there are fewer that will come. So I thought, well, listen, we need an attractive place where we can lock them down, the best of both worlds. So I thought, let's do an evangelism cruise. And so I presented this to my boss, and that's not the craziest idea I've ever had, but he said, you're crazy, you've lost your mind. Do you know how much it costs to do a cruise? He said, here's a number, you call this person, and you find out. Well, I found out that I had to... uh, down a, a million dollar deposit and um, I thought well my wife probably won't agree with that so we're not going to do that but um, he did tell me the story about a lady who was certain that she needed to do a cruise and she had this great big vision for doing so and was terribly excited about doing it and so she put her house up as collateral for a loan and did not get enough people to register and put down deposits and end up losing her home ladies and gentlemen that's not faith that's foolishness you get a word from God first you make sure that you're doing his will first well how can I be certain that I'm doing the will of God well there's several things you need to do first is surrender have I surrendered to God have I told God God I'll do whatever it takes to do your will before I know what it will require of me? Romans 12 1 2 says I urge you therefore brethren by the mercies of God To present your bodies as a living sacrifice to relinquish yourself like an Old Testament worshiper would a sacrifice that is once he gave up the sacrifice into the priest's control he lost complete control of the sacrifice he relinquished it all for the priests service and that's what you do with God you say God this decision and my life and everything about me is completely relinquished to you and you now control it all before I know what your will is And your placement for me will require and it goes on to say do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good acceptable and perfect will of God nobody who will not surrender no one who resists surrendering to God will ever know his will God doesn't chit-chat he doesn't bargain he doesn't negotiate he only speaks to those who are surrendered and so If you want him to speak to you about salvation and the forgiveness of your sins, you need to surrender to his gospel. If you want him to speak to you about his will for your church membership, you need to surrender and be willing to do what he wants you to do and not merely play a religious game, but surrender to him wholehearted and fully before he will ever tell you what he wants you to do. So that's the first question. Have I surrendered? The second question is about scripture. What does the scripture say about this second Timothy 316 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof correction and instruction in righteousness and so we go by the Word of God and there is no circumstance under which God will ever lead us to do something contrary to his word ladies you can tell a man is not God's will for you if he's already married You know, some people are confused about that. Fellas, a woman is not God's will for you if she's married. Do you know some people are confused by that? Because that violates the word of God, which exalts the marriage covenant. And somehow in this silly age, we're having to remind people of that. Even church people. God doesn't lead you to take up with someone else's spouse at all. Absolutely not. God will never lead you to violate his word. The third thing is the saints. What do godly saints say about this? Do I have some people close to me that I, will, uh, that I can share this with and discuss this with, and what, what is their counsel to me? Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Listen, you, you want things to go crazy in your life? then you isolate yourself from godly people. You, you be chronically absent in church attendance or attend only every other Sunday. You, you stay out of small group Bible study that we've got. You, you don't walk with people. You don't get close to them. And, and you don't deal with them and, and make yourself vulnerable to them and uh, pass your decisions before them. That is the quickest way for things to go awry in your life. But you get a multitude of godly counselors before you and you share these things with them, and they're going to give you insight that you could never ever imagine. So, what do the saints say? And then serenity. Do I have a peace, a serene, uh, a serenity about this, or do I have a peace about this? Has God placed a peace in my heart about this? Colossians three fifteen says, "Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and be thankful." Uh, the word there, "rule," in Colossians three fifteen is the word we use for for uh, referee or umpire. And they had referees and umpires in the first century. And uh, they would call things in bounds and out of bounds. And that peace will tell you when you are in bounds, in the place where God wants you. And a sense of upset and disturbance in your soul will tell you when you, you may be getting out of bounds. And so you pay careful attention to these things. So, greater faith sends us from a pleasant place. And that's God's way of doing things often. But there's another way that God does things. And that is, greater faith keeps us in a difficult place. Again, so much of life is designed to minimize pain and discomfort. But that's not what we find with Abraham. In fact, we, we don't find that with Paul either. And I want you to look with me real quickly a few pages back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I want you to pay careful attention to verses 8 and 9. Paul is discussing his missionary travels and missionary plans here in the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number uh, 8. And he is uh, discussing with the Corinthians how he's going to travel and what kind of itinerary he has uh, set for himself. And a lot of that depended on um, the schedule of ships and it depended upon the weather and other things in the ancient Mediterranean. But in... 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 8. Look what he says. I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. That was in the springtime. A little bit later in the season after Passover. Then verse 9. For a great and effective door has opened to me. And that's true. While Paul was in Ephesus, a great door for ministry opened to him, and he was able to plant a lot of churches, and they appear in Revelation 2 and 3 the churches to whom the Apostle John wrote. And so a great door opened. So Paul said, I'm going to stay here in Ephesus because there's a great opportunity, a great door opened, and there's another reason in verse 9. Let's read verse 9 again. For a great and effective door has opened to me, so I'm staying in Ephesus, and there are many adversaries. I'm staying because I have an open door, and I'm staying because there are adversaries. Not, I'm leaving because of the adversaries. I'm staying because of the adversaries. Now, is that how most people think? Oh, no. But this is how the apostle thinks. He stays in a difficult place. And this is precisely what Abraham does as well back in Hebrews chapter 11. Look what it says in verse number 9 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign land country. Abraham was never at home where he was. In fact, he arrives, and by chapter 14, he's having to fight five kings and having to rescue Lot. And then look, look what it says also in verse 9. He dwelt, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents, and eventually with Isaac. So he is advanced in years, and he's got babies in a tent. Now, let me tell you about the transition that Abraham has gone through. He has gone through uh, these transitions. He's gone from owning an estate in his original homeland to having to live in a tent. He's gone from an owner of property to being a sojourner. And he's gone from being celebrated in the city to being someone who's essentially anonymous and a foreigner. And he gets to that place and he stays there. He stays where God wants him to stay. Now, he did drift off to Egypt one time and back got his whole family messed up. But when he stayed, God blessed him. Listen, God does not always want us to go. Sometimes God's place is for us to stay and to stay in a challenging place. That is, to keep laboring in a difficult marriage, to keep working an impossible job to keep dwelling in a difficult, declining neighborhood, to keep living in a modest home, to keep driving the older car, to keep serving an obstinate people. Sometimes faith means we shun the thrill of the move and we embrace the humdrum of the stay. Now, don't get discouraged if God wants you to stay. He's with you and he can perform his work even there. He's not abandoning you, but he is shaping you into being a productive person. And that leads us, to the third concept in the passage. And that is, greater faith lifts us to a productive place. Now, I need you to turn to Genesis chapter 11 and keep your finger in Hebrews chapter 11 as well. Uh, No one alive wants to turn out to be a big zero. I don't know anyone alive who wants to be a big zero in the lives of other people. And I don't know anyone who wants to be forgotten whenever they leave this earth. Everyone wants to make an impact. Everyone wants to be remembered. Now, verses 11 and 12 of Hebrews 11 say, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past age, because she judged God faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars and the sand." Now that's rather remarkable. Um, Abraham and Sarah and their descendants became as many as the stars and the sand, biologically and spiritually. That, that's what happened with them. They became great and productive in these areas. Now look back with me in Genesis chapter 11, In chapter 12, they became uh, in Genesis 12, verse number 2, great in descendants. Now, beginning with verse 1, now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And so he had great descendants, uh, the entire Jewish nation originates with Abraham and then those who trusted Jesus Christ by faith have been declared righteous and to use an agricultural metaphor have been grafted into those promises that God gave to Abraham and so Abraham's descendants include not only the Jews Abraham's descendants in fact include all those who have trusted Christ as Savior down through the ages and have embraced him So that promise came true. He was profoundly prolific and productive. Now look at his name in verse number 2. He said, I will make your name great. Now this happens in a context. Uh, The chapter division here may be a bit unfortunate because it follows the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, God in Genesis 9 told uh, Noah and his family to cover up the earth, like he told Adam and Eve. He said to populate and cover it up. But there were some descendants of Noah who thought that they had a better plan than God did about their place. And in chapter 11, they decided all these other inhabitants of the earth, they're a bit scary. And so let's join together and let's build an impressive and intimidating tower up to the heavens and make a name, an intimidating name, a fierce name for ourselves. And look what happened in Genesis 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. Now, watch this. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, from verse 5 down to verse 9, God came down and scattered them across the earth and confused all of their languages. Now, look what they wanted to do in verse number 4. Let us make a name for ourselves. Do any of you know any of their names? You don't know one of them, do you? They attempted to make a name for themselves and were terribly disappointed because they put themselves in their own place. But how many of you, before you showed up today, knew the name of Abraham? You knew his name, didn't you? This is what God has done with him. He made his name great. And then he was productive in a great blessing. Verse number 3, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, that's true. Blessed remarkably and with great names. All the great names of history are some, many of the great names of history are associated with Abraham. In other words, uh, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Aaron and, and David and Solomon and Mary, and Jesus, and Paul, and Peter, and John. And ladies and gentlemen, we we just stopped with A.D. 90. We've got two millenniums since then. Uh, That's what we have with Abraham. God made his name great. reminds me of a 19th century theology professor by the name of Crawford Toy. He was brilliant. He was uh, in the first, I think, the first graduating class of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, our Southern Baptist uh, Seminary there. And he um, uh, was brilliant. He went off to study in Germany. He came back. They hired him on the faculty, and his views began to slip. He began to embrace an evolutionary approach to the Bible, the story of creation, and he began to exalt that, and he began to disbelieve the Scripture. He began to believe there are errors in the Bible and um, the uh, administration had to let him go. Oh, he had a real gentle spirit, real sweet spirit about it all, and he left and Harvard University picked him up. And he went to teach at uh, Harvard University. And from there, he wrote some Hebrew grammars. He wrote a critically acclaimed commentary on the book of Proverbs uh, and all. And when he was 52, he finally married. And uh, the spiritual influence of that, we're not really sure about, but what we do know is that Crawford Toy left not only the Baptist Church, but he joined the Unitarian Church that denies the deity of Christ and denies the Trinity. And eventually, he left that and completely abandoned the Christian faith. Now, he got married when he was 52, but that was not his first engagement. His first engagement was to a vivacious, young uh, Virginia woman. Uh, the one who um, we think was the first woman in the South to earn a master's degree, who specialized greatly in languages. She was a uh, young woman who committed herself to go to the mission field. She ended up in China. She was there for almost 40 years and gave herself and abandoned herself for Christ. She was engaged to Crawford Toy. She found out about his views. They'd even planned to marry. Her family was planning the wedding. And when she discovered more and more of his views after he went to Harvard, she broke the engagement. And on furlough, back in Virginia, she was sitting with the niece one day, and the niece asked her, she said, have you ever been in love? And she said, yes, I have, but God had first claim on my life, and because the two conflicted, there was no doubt about the result. And so she never married again. She went on and she served. In 1912, she died in the harbor of Kobe, Japan from um, probably a boil or a cyst that grew at the base of her brain that was exacerbated by starvation. China was in a famine where she was, and she gave away all of her food. But since uh, her time, there has been enormous missionary movement that has taken place. In 1888, she urged women of the South and the Baptist churches to start raising money for missions. And so in 1888, they begin to take up an offering. And that first offering was a little more than $3,000. In today's dollars, that's 80, more than $80,000. Since 1888, at her urging, Southern Baptists have collected more than $4.4 billion for Southern Baptist missionaries alone in this woman's name. Her first name was Charlotte. Her middle name was her mother's maiden name, Diggs. Her last name, Moon. You know her as Lottie Moon. She abandoned herself to go where God wanted her and became wildly productive. And had I not told you about Crawford Toy, you would have never, ever heard of him. God made her name great because she walked by faith. And those who doubted him have become a footnote in history. You want God to use you, you give yourself to him. To walk by faith. You don't shriek. You don't shirk. You abandon it all. And do that that now, in fact. God is moving on some of your hearts and has been for some time to give yourself to Christ. To follow him in baptism and to get serious about Jesus. We're going to sing a song and let you do that. And there will be staff here that will help you with it. We want you to come. Others of you, God's moved on you to become part of Beach Haven. You already know him. But he wants you to come here. God's calling some of you to commit yourself to the mission field to ministry or some other form of service. You come as well and simply do what God wants you to do. Would you quickly stand with me, please? And let's talk to God about it.